the Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer, near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. On round one, Tim Hudak is here, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives. He's now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. Laura Babcock is with Power Group Communications, host of the O Show, and Mark Warner, international trade lawyer. Okay, so let's start with something international. And uh, Mark Warner, am I being uncharitable if I go kind of sour whenever somebody, a Canadian citizen in Gaza, complains that it's taken the government too long to get them out? Um, I think you are. I, I, I had more of those sorts of feelings when we did the air flights from Israel. I didn't really understand why why we needed to get people out of Israel. I mean, I, mean, I think the, the carriers at that time were still working. But Gaza, which is being bombarded into rubble, makes no sense. I mean, I do think we at some point in Canada have to have a larger discussion about dual citizenship and what it means, residency and dual citizenship. I think by now we've got to have reached the point where the Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian nonsense uh, needs to be rethought a little bit. Um, you know, the idea that you come to Canada, get a citizenship and move back to where you came from, and then people pick up your tab seems a bit silly to me. But uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, the Gaza residents wouldn't be the people that uh, where I'd place my outrage today. Yeah. Well, Laura Babcock, I'm not saying they don't deserve to get out, but their the grousing that I was watching on the national news was a bit over the top. Yeah, and, and I understand it can be frustrating. We've had this conversation over the years when people go to visit family or doing business in areas and then there's some sort of an emergency and they are, you know, banging on the desk expecting the Canadian government to be able to quickly mobilize and remove thousands of them. It can seem like frustrating, frustrating for them to be there, frustrating for the Canadian taxpayer and, and frustrating because there seems to be a level of impatience. But to Mark's point on this, these people have nowhere to go. <laughs> you know, they, they were told to leave northern Gaza. They've moved down to southern Gaza. And now there's bombardments happening in mid and southern Gaza. I mean, this is absolutely life and death. And in that case, I think we should all give people some grace, uh, people here who are terrified about their family, both in Israel and in Gaza, and people who are trying to flee an area where they are, you know, going to get hit or starved to death. I mean, so in this case, you know, let's just give them a little bit of extra grace and try to get them out as fast as possible. Tim Hudak. Look, I, I think that the Canadian government has uh, done an exemplary job of trying to rescue people from this under the extraordinary uh, circumstances. And I'm, I'm like you, John. I, I think that, you know, um, you roll the dice, you take your chances, depending on, you know, where you go for a trip. And Mark has an important broader point because we saw this some time ago in Lebanon as well. Uh, is a Canadian a Canadian a Canadian? If you have a Canadian citizenship but you live in a foreign country, do you have an automatic right for the Canadian government to come and rescue you, especially when you live in a dangerous area? I, I don't think so. I think we actually are bending over backwards as it is to help Canadians whether they live here or they live abroad. Yeah, and it's worth noting, you mentioned Lebanon because we evacuated, I think, about 26,000 people from Lebanon 20 years ago. And then when things settled down, a whole bunch of them went back. And now we're preparing to evacuate them all over again if we have to. Let's move to a few other issues, including we did an interview just a little while ago, and I appreciate the organization we were talking to that uh, sponsored the study is an environmental group. But a new traffic study says the economics of Highway 14, 413 don't make any sense. We would save money if we just subsidized truckers to use the 407. Laura Babcock, let me uh, start with you. I don't know if you're in a position one day to use Highway 413 if it gets built. 
No, but I do use the 407 uh, and it is often empty and other times I have to use the 401 and it is ridiculous and you know and, and you kind of sort of bare knuckle it when you're driving on the 401 because of the large trucks. It's crazy. So, you know, even if you take out the environmental argument, I've always thought that diverting those trucks and subsidizing those trucks on the ETR so they don't have to pay the ETR fees um, would make huge sense for the overall traffic movements through Toronto. Now, if you add on to the fact that the 413, according to this study, is supposed to give about 60 seconds extra, I mean, that is that worth the environmental degradation of plowing through? Is it worth the cost? And I have to say, because it's not in a vacuum, you know, even years ago, I might not have been hot for a new highway through those lands, but with everything we've seen with the Greenbelt studies and the Greenbelt AG and IC report and everything else, the Ford government is not a government that I put trust in to build a highway of this magnitude. I'm concerned about land speculation around it. I'm concerned about value for the taxpayer in Ontario. They simply don't have the credibility in anything that has to do with land development. So, so you know, putting a point on it, I don't think the 413 is necessary for a whole host of reasons, but let's divert those trucks regardless. Okay, but Tim Hudak, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting suggestion, but at the same time, we're going to pay, the public purse is going to pay a private company to allow truckers to spoil the 407 experience for the people who pay to use the 407. Look, the, the core route here is that we need to invest in our transportation infrastructure, both rail and road. Uh, look, I, I've worked with environment, the environmental defense for probably about two decades. Uh, let's be very direct about this. If they had their druthers, John, they would roll up the 400 series of highways as they existed today. There's no blacktop that they like whatsoever. I think a very balanced view is we invest in our highways and our rail. That's going to open up more land for affordable homes. That's going to open up new jobs to help our next generation you know, have a more opportunity in life. And if there was any clear issue that emerged from the 2022 election campaign, it was an endorsement of the 413. Let's get moving. Mark. Warner? Um, I'm probably closer to Tim on this. You know, my, my starting point, John, is I always do look when you send these uh, surveys of who did them, a subgroup called Unomia, doing it for an environmental lobbying group, which seems Unomia seems to be some sort of uh, economic consultancy that gets money from the government to do things that uh, that uh, uh, the federal government economic, uh, sorry, environmental policy. So look, these aren't serious studies. And um, I do think we should have a straight out debate. Do you want do you want to have the, that kind of economic development or not? But, you know, these kind of studies don't do much for me. The last thing I'd say, one of the things I do remember when I, my, in my earlier years was when we, people would do studies about all the economic development assistance that were given to Newfoundland or Cape Breton. And people came up with this idea that if you paid everybody a one-time payment of a million dollars, everybody in Newfoundland or Cape Breton, it would actually cost us less. We haven't done that yet. Anyway, that's just, I don't know why these studies made me think of that today, but when I do see these things, say, well, I've got another idea for you. I always do remember those uh, one-time payments to right. Cape Bretoners and Newfoundlanders. Okay, but then we restored the fishery and they found oil. So anyway, <laughs> let's keep moving. How about uh, City Council in Toronto? And there's so many items on the agenda. You guys can pick and choose the ones that you find most preoccupying. We have everything from uh, near-term plan to ease traffic headaches. Yeah, get back to me on that. Uh, advancing the 
Waterfront East LRT, um, green lighting the construction of 65,000 new homes, and perhaps my favorite, Stephen Holiday asking city staff to look into whether or not the coat of arms from the former city of Etobicoke is perpetuating anti-Indigenous stereotypes. I'll start with Tim Hudak on this. All right, I'll, I'll leave the coat of arms for my, <laughs> my colleagues. I want to jump into that one. Uh, my top three, John, Waterfront to East LRT. That is a project that the Ontario Real Estate Association endorsed. We did the top 10 infrastructure projects for Ontario to create new laneways for affordable homes and jobs, and that on our list. So I hope we get the endorsement there. The, the experiment in having mental health experts respond to people with mental health issues in our streets versus police is an, an interesting experiment. I think, though, most of the time, you're still going to want some law enforcement there as they can go to extreme emotional levels. And third, I'm happy to see the city moving forward with getting more homes built. This is rentals predominantly. I do worry, John, that we're going back to the future and having government develop, build, and run those homes. That was a recipe for high costs and deteriorating homes. The government can get the land set aside. They can lead the project, but let the private sector build. They did that in New York City, John, where they got 160,000 homes built for first-time home buyers and rentals. They can do it there. You can do it in Toronto. I'm glad that you reminded me of that uh, new squad because basically it will complement Toronto Fire Service, Toronto Paramedic Service, and Toronto Police Service. And I like this idea because not every person in a mental health crisis is waving a knife. Uh, Mark Warner, what do you see on the agenda here? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what comes of the uh, the, the city plans to deal with uh, short, uh, near-term plan to ease traffic headaches. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, uh, construction. I mean, I, it seems that we always talk about that. It just seems to get worse. I, I was also surprised to see that there's a motion to do with traffic automated traffic enforcement on the King Street Pilot Zone. I didn't realize King Street was still a pilot. <laughs> Hasn't been running for like eight years now or something like that. Yeah, it's a done deal, uh, I thought. <laughs> well, anyway, so it's a, that was typical of the John Tory years. We have an eight-year pilot and it's still there. Um, you know, I I don't see anything here too interesting. We'll see what we'll see where any of this leads. But uh, if it means any change in my life, I'd be happy. I, I'm not looking for much. Okay, and Laura Babcock, I know you have work in Toronto, but some days you must be happy to be a ratepayer in Hamilton. Oh, don't get me started on Hamilton politics, John. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Listen, I like the fact, actually, that Toronto has the executive committee, organizes these agendas, meets every six weeks, and actually gets stuff done. Uh, comparatively, I think it's a good system. And Olivia Chow seems to have a ton of momentum. I'm producing, actually, an OSHO special this weekend on the housing crisis throughout Ontario. Uh, it is dire. So I am extremely excited about this agenda item, these 65,000 rent con- rent-controlled housing units in Toronto. They're desperately needed. The crisis of homelessness is unbelievable in our country, especially in our major cities. And the cold weather is here. It's minus eight right now. It feels like it anyway outside. We need to get these houses on the market fast. Now, if that means a wartime effort, if that means that Doug Ford had a good meeting with Olivia Chow and and the feds and the province are going to help get these done, do it. Uh, I don't love the idea of city-run housing. It's been a disaster here in Hamilton as well, Tim. But let me tell you, we got to do something different because the insanity of our homeless population having to suffer on the streets and people not being able to even get an apartment two thousand dollars for an apartment are you kidding for a single bedroom in hamilton it's nuts so let's get this done 
Meanwhile, a new survey finds Canadians are irked by our stereotypes. And But Mark Warner, often there's a lot of truth to stereotypes. We do say A. We do love hockey. Um, I'm not the biggest Tim Hortons guy, but Canadians seem to think that it's part of our ethos. So why, you know, why get irked by the fact that Americans have these stereotypes of us? Well, I don't know that the Americans have the Tim Hortons one. I, I, that's one I just, <laughs> frankly, have never understood. You know, when I left Canada the first time, you know, I'd never even really heard of Tim Hortons. I knew country-style donuts. I knew Dunkin' Donuts. And then when I returned to Canada years, many years later, um, it uh, I, all of a sudden, I was, it seemed all this advertising and everybody seemed to be going to Tim Hortons. And I, and I, since I was never part of my childhood in various parts of Canada I lived in, I just never completely understood where this one came from. So that, that's one that really irks me. I'd be quite happy to see it go away. And Laura, it seems that we don't like stereotypes until we love stereotypes. Like we're always calling on, a, you know, getting a Mountie to come to a public event. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, you know what? It's funny. I was going through this list. And can I answer Mark on the Tim's thing? I hadn't heard of Tim Hortons when I lived in Montreal and Winnipeg. But in Hamilton, the original Tim Hortons is here. We have one on every corner in some intersections. Like you can't go a block and a half here. So it is a highly addicted Tim city. And I share that addiction, unfortunately, at this point. But listen, these stereotypes, I think we think they're cute when we like them. You know, when hockey's doing well, we like to be hockey players. When when maple syrup season comes, we're all into maple syrup, but it doesn't really guide our daily life. So I think it's more just for a sense of identity. Remember that I am Canadian Molson ad years ago? I think as Canadians, we're still struggling to put exactly a hanger on what it is that makes us Canadian. Well, that's it. I'll let uh, Tim Hudak have the last word on this. That, you know, that commercial that Laura was just referencing, I always found it a bit obnoxious because it was sort of like, hey, you Americans, up your nose. We're different. <laughs> I, I have my own list from working at the border, right? Talking to Americans right. like thousands a day. And my favorite were those that came from just a little bit further away. And regularly, John, they'd stare at me at first and they wouldn't answer. They'd say, I didn't know y'all spoke American. American here in Canada. <laughs> Every summer, guaranteed at least two cars with skis. Asked me how far north to the snow. I said, buddy, you got a long way to go. Where does the queen live exactly? Is another favorite. And finally, because they saw lots of Marineland commercials, how do you get the dolphins and the killer whales to swim over Niagara Falls? <laughs> okay, actually, I do wonder how you transport a whale, but thanks a lot for that. Tim Hudak, Laura Babcock, Mark Warner, that's round one. Coming up in the next half hour, we'll have our keyword for the car full of cash contest at 8 15. Canada is the second largest land mass, the first nation of hockey, and the best part of North America. My name is Joe, and I am Canadian. Catch the round table, round one at 7.45, round two at 8.45. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.